Well, hey, everyone, welcome to Small Business Download. I'm Thomas Cox with Taylor. Say hi, Taylor. Or not. <laughs> Taylor's waving silently to us. And, and I'm muted. Okay. And you're muted. Yes, yes. Somebody this called the, tech support. I was muted. This, this is the joy of live <laughs> live radio, live podcasting, live video. We, oh, make yes. our little, we have our little humble mistakes and we move onward. Uh, today's show, amusingly enough, is on better communication, specifically better client communication. Although I think you'll find that everything we talk about um, can be applied internally as well. Now, if you're a small business owner, you might just have yourself and your clients and your suppliers. Okay. Uh, and you will at some point have employees uh, and you will have you know, family members who help you from time to time. And you want to communicate as flawlessly as you can with each of them because every time you communicate, it's an opportunity for miscommunication to create avoidable problems and reduce the quality of your customer experience, reduce their value, inject unexpected costs and uh, trouble. Uh, so yes, uh, what you'll find, we'll probably already have found if you've been in business for any length of time, is that one of our biggest challenges is communication and coordination. And in fact, you can't coordinate if you don't communicate. So let's talk about client communication. So we know that our, our client work, the work we do, the products or services we deliver, uh, it's really, you know, it's to please the clients, to delight them, it's to make them happy. In most cases, it's to have them as a repeat customer or people like them to be repeat customers. Uh, okay, so if the goal of the work is to delight the client, what's the goal of the communication with the client? And I would, tell, I would say the goal of the communication is not to please them. The goal of the work is to please them. The goal of the communication is to manage expectations about the work so that the work can please them. Uh, and by the way, I want to define client communication as excluding all your marketing and excluding all your sales conversations because um, they're not clients until they buy. Now, once they've bought from you, okay, now they're a client and now you're engaging in client communications. Before they, they buy from you, those are marketing and sales conversations. Now, when we were preparing for this episode, Taylor asked me very intelligently, but what about cross-selling? What about upselling? When do I talk to a, a, a buyer of, you know, Taylor just sold somebody a phone system and he's in the middle of installing it and they haven't yet gotten to grips with this person needing a server and some ongoing support services around the, the, right, the monthly tech support package that Taylor offers. It's so awesome. Well, okay. Do you mix the two? Uh, and that's exactly one of the things we're going to talk about, because when you talk about upselling, when you talk about cross-selling, those are sales conversations. And when you intermix the two, you want to be very careful that you do it in a way that doesn't irritate uh, buyers. Some people are perfectly fine uh, talking about both in the same meeting, even switching back and forth sentence to sentence. Other people get very irritated by that. Uh, and so again, we're talking about the boundary of what is client communication and what sales. Uh, and my, my best advice to anybody or my best guidance uh, is ask, just, just ask. 
say, hey, is it okay if I, you know, here I'm installing, installing your phone system. We haven't really finished talking about these two other topics that we touched on earlier, or we haven't talked about it because we just didn't bring them up. But at some point, I think I'm going to want to talk to you about that. When should we talk about that? separate from the phone? You want to wait to have the phones totally installed and I can prove to you that I know what I'm doing or do you already, you know, trust me enough that you want to have conversations about additional products and services, even as I'm in the midst of delivering something to you. Well, Taylor, Tom, was there more to that? Yeah. So as you bring that up, Tom, doesn't also uh, vary on circumstance and how well you, you've gotten to know the person? I think depending it's, on yes. when you're bringing it up and how yes. you approach it, that type of thing. I mean, I, my, my go-to advice is almost always get permission or check in with them, but maybe you should check in with yourself first. I, I could have maybe not skipped over that. If your sense is that it's a delicate relationship and you really want to establish credibility, you might say in passing, Hey, you know, at some point I'm probably going to want to talk to you about these other things, but right now I think I want to just focus on the phone system. Is that okay? Because if they're secretly expecting or even anxious about those other topics and they're sort of waiting for you to bring them up because they're so anxious and you thought you needed to build credibility, but they don't think that, now, now you're holding out on them and maybe they go find somebody else to talk to you about those services because you're being so carefully in your lane and you're trying to be very respectful. Uh, this is the game, folks. To coordinate with others, you have to understand their expectations and you can do that two ways. You can set them or you can discover them or a combination of the two. Uh, and when it comes to other people's preferences, it is extremely respectful and almost always well-received to just say, hey, here I'm, I'm noticing I'm having this choice here and I'm sort of leaning towards one direction, but I wanted to check in with you and make sure that that's okay with you, that that fits your needs and preferences too. Uh, and if you're thinking about how do I phrase that, because how we say things, I mean, you can tie yourselves in, ourselves in knots trying to get like just the right wording. Um, my belief is, and Taylor, I love your thoughts. If your heart's in the right place and you've got a minimum amount of rapport with them and you're a good listener, it, it, if you stumble your way through the conversation, it'll be okay. And Taylor, you wanted to say something. Yeah. So just to clarify, I think, Tom, we're talking about this is an in-person conversation. This is a face-to-face -face conversation. Uh, oh, you know, or, or, or on the phone or on Zoom. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I think text uh, over text, whether it be email or instant message is a whole other animal. But yeah. Because it, it, it's delayed and there's no tone of voice. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Tom. Uh, you know, if if the client can see that you you're genuinely care and, you know, it's from the mm -hmm. heart, etc and they they can see the body language they can see you when you're saying it that type of thing oh yeah most definitely uh, so what, you're, what we're talking about here is called meta communication and you'll find this in the show notes that you periodically hopefully not all the time because this can get exhausting and annoying uh, but talk with your client about how you're going to talk with your client say i unless you tell me otherwise i'm going to assume blah and i'm going to behave that way Hey, Taylor, is it okay if I do most of our correspondence with email, but if there's anything really important, we talk on the phone? Uh, that's how I prefer to do it. But what do you prefer? And, uh, and I you would say whatever you prefer, right? Yeah. I mean, me personally, I always prefer a, a video call or in person. Right. Uh, you know, a, yeah. a video chat 
such as Zoom, or there's a thousand other products that do it. Some kind right. of video chat to where you can physically see each other's face, body hear language, the tone et cetera. Of voice, see the body the language. Tone. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Because uh, we're trying to make, we, we need to make them happy emotionally. And you don't make people happy emotionally by saying yes to everything they say. We make them emotionally happy by managing their expectations and then delivering on what we've, the expectation we've set. Yeah, that's, and, the, that's the heart of client communication. And, and I think, you know, I, Tom, you may have more experience in this than I, but I think the best way to communicate those expectations are in person or over a video chat. I think uh, it know, depends. Let, it depends. Well, let's talk about that. So why do people get upset with each other? According to Werner Earhart, there are three primary reasons why anybody gets upset with anybody else. Kind of a blanket statement by Werner Earhart. He said, it's number one, undelivered communication. You're expecting to hear something and they went dark on you. Undelivered communications are very upsetting. Second, uh, unmet expectations, which is a very broad category, obviously. And then thwarted intentions. Now, that's you had an intention to you know, go to the beach. And then, you know, there was a problem on the road. They shut the road down and you couldn't go. Now, maybe that was totally communicated to you. So it's not a matter of you not being informed in a timely fashion. And maybe no one promised you you could get to the beach. You just sort of assumed you could. But circumstances arose that thwarted your intention to get there. Uh, and that, that upsets people. So our role in client communication is to anticipate these three things and to avoid them and, and provide the opposite, that we don't have undelivered communication, that every communication that either of us expects happens, that expectations are managed proactively, and that people's intentions uh, are ultimately satisfied or at least addressed. And you will find that the, the solution to communication is more communication. Uh, and this can become a snake eating its own tail if we're not careful. So I'll try to be really, really clear. Uh, how do you communicate with a client so that you manage their expectations in the best possible way? And uh, for me, I, I understand things by breaking them apart and analyzing them. That's how my brain works. So let me run you through some examples. Uh, most client communication is always is almost always going to be about this small set of things. There's six. One is just getting to know each other as people. And you do that to build rapport, to build some trust, to get a sense of their cadence. Are they fast? Are they, do they interrupt you? Do they expect you to interrupt them? Do they just want you know, straight to the point, short communications, and then move on to other things? In which case, if you try to talk about your weekend or ask them about theirs, they're just annoyed. Or do they want to, you know, have a, a chit chat about family and you know, personal lives and kind of get to know each other, so, matching so now, them, right? Go ahead. So let's, let's have a cup of coffee. Right. And someone might love that. And someone might say, dude, I don't have got time for this. You know, I, I, I have sales calls and I've got my own clients to worry about. Can we please just make this a transaction and get stuff done? Now, right. if somebody says that to me once, I want to remember that and not keep trying to initiate stuff they've already showed they aren't interested in. Now you might do it once more in a couple of weeks after you built some credibility or when they seem less harried or less rushed. Um, but if they signal to you that 
you know, bonding, rapport, uh, getting to know each other as human beings just isn't something they're open to with you for whatever reason, um, respect it. And if you can't respect it, you might not want to have them as clients because you'll keep trying to interact with them the way you want to. And they've already signaled that they don't much like that. Uh, and so you're setting yourself up for potentially a bad client interaction if you're not respectful of their preferences. Uh, now, having said that, everybody ultimately does want to get to know their you know, trust to their, their providers, which comes with the territory of getting to know each other as people, but pace it by matching them, match their, match their speed of speaking, match their tone, match their frequency, match the level of, uh, of interaction they want to have uh, to some extent. So that's of the six things we do in client communication. Number one is getting to know each other. And sometimes you're going to find out that you, you get to know that they don't want to get to know you. Okay. Uh, and most often that's not the case. Most often they'll want to have some, some kind of a human relationship with you because they want to trust you enough to hire you. So that's one of the six things is, is getting to know one another. Uh, the second class of things we talk about with, with clients after they say yes, after they've agreed to purchase uh, is gathering the information needed to do the work. Now you do some of that during sales. And in fact, you can, I, I would claim that the more insightful and incisive your questions are during selling, the better you look as a, as a potential vendor for them the more they're going to want to work with you if you ask really tight, really smart questions. But you're probably not going to gather every piece of information during sales. There will be some information to gather after they've said yes. Well, some of it too, Tom, I think is, uh, is, is clarifying things. Maybe, you know, during the sales process, the question mm -hmm. was initially broad. So, you know, you're, you're, you're clarifying things. Um, right. There's the information you need to know to find out whether you guys can have a successful customer relationship where they buy something from you and you deliver. And then there's some additional detail you might need. It's like, yeah, I've got a Honda Civic and I need a tune-up. It's like, there's not a Honda Civic made that I, I can't tune. So I promise you I can do that. Okay, great. And then at some point I need to know the, the actual model year. And they made a lot of different Civics, like which, which make is it? And well, you didn't ask me that before. It's like, I didn't need to know that before because the question before was, can I handle a, a Honda Civic? And the answer is, I can handle all of them, but I handle each one differently because they have different parts from different years. I need to know the make model and, and model year. Okay. And so just one way in which more information will get solicited after they're a client. So number one, bonding and rapport. Number two, detailed information to ensure you can move forward with the delivering them their product or service. Gathering information. Number three is it seems like it's number two, but it's not. Um, number number two is just gathering the information you need so you can do your work. But number three is coordinating with them. Because what if you need someone to come over and take detailed measurements? Well, I need to know their address of where I'm sending my person to go make their measurements. But then we have to coordinate a time to actually be let into the property. And now we're talking coordination issues. Uh, when can we drop this off? Um, when can I talk to you live on the on on a Zoom call to show you some options? When are you available to blot? And so, or if we do it asynchronously, hey, I've got three logo choices. You need to pick one within 48 hours. Uh, all three are attached. Please write me back to confirm that you've received this message, so I know that the clock is ticking on the 48 hours. Uh, if I don't hear back from you that you've received this and understand that the clock is ticking, I'm going to call you. 
And I would say that in the email. If I don't hear back within 12 hours that you know that there's a ticking clock on this, uh, I'm, I'm giving you a call. And now and then I feel total, I just give myself permission to call them because either they read that, didn't reply, and now they're expecting me to call them or they haven't read it and the clock is still ticking and I'm committed to their excellence. So to the excellence of this outcome. So I'm going to keep my word and escalate communication. Taylor, you wanted to add something. Uh, no, no, I, I just simply was uh, nodding my head. And, you know, the example you gave is good because either way you want to make sure, uh, you know, uh, things keep moving forward. And sometimes it takes, you know, a, uh, a, a persistent follow-up, as I like to call it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely correct. Uh, and if you are committed to an excellent outcome from them, Number one, you absolutely do need to be pleasantly persistent in asking for the information you need and coordinating with them, even if they go silent or seem, seem difficult to work with. And I would add, in fact, during the sales process, you could have, should have, and next time I hope you will, let them know, hey, if you become my client and if we work together, uh, here's the kinds of communications we're going to have. And here's the kinds of questions I'm going to have for you. Here's the kind of turnaround time I'm going to need. Um, if there's a 48-hour turnaround on something and I don't hear back from you within 12 hours that you're aware of it, I'm going to start calling you. So I need to know what phone I should reach you on. Um, if you're ever going to be not available, who's authorized to make decisions in your absence? Because we have tight timelines here or whatever, whatever is true. Uh, and so in, even in sales, you can set the groundwork for the kinds of client communication you need to have so that they can have an excellent experience with you. And as long as everything you say and do is in service of an excellent outcome for them, people will typically be very understanding and they'll work with you the way you need to work with them. Uh, okay, so I mentioned that there's six things that we talk with about clients. Number one, bonding and rapport. Number two, gathering information about the work so we can proceed. Number three is coordinating activities for things we have to do together. Uh, number four is either learning or confirming their expectations and resetting expectations about the work. So anytime you have to say, uh, and this can blend sometimes with number two gathering information. So let's say, you know, Taylor hires me to put in oak floors for him and we're all set. And I'm, I think I got, and then I find out that the oak flooring I have is actually um, faulty. There's been a recall and there's no more oak flooring to be had on the wholesale market anytime soon. I have an obligation to call Taylor up and say, Taylor, I got, I'm very disappointed to have to tell you that I cannot get you your oak floor on the timeline we agreed. I have some options, but first I wanted to tell you that. And if you want to yell at me, you can. I'm very, very sorry. And I might, if you're interested, I might say, look, I've contacted every wholesaler I know. I've even called some of the other, some of my competition to see if they have any extra in stock. I, I spent the last 12 hours scouring the landscape for some way out of this where I can sol solve your, this and deliver what I promised. I can't find it. So um, I want to pause here and get your, your reaction to that. I bet you're disappointed. I know I am. I'm very sorry. I do have some options moving forward, but tell me when you're ready to hear them. You'll notice I'm like, delivering the bad news. And then I'm waiting, I'm giving him space to react. I'm not trying to rush to my solution. I'm not trying to force a, a quick choice. And I'd say, 
you know, forget it. It's oak or nothing. It's like, oh, I totally respect that. I'm so sorry. Um, I'll keep checking. I'll, uh, you want me to let you know what, as soon as I find some, do you ever want to hear my voice again? Like, how, how do you want to move forward? Like, again, very respectful, get, let them choose. They'll typically, if you're very kind and, and not, not presumptive, they'll typically say well, they want to keep working with you. Usually they'll say, well, what are my other options? Well, look, you know, you told me you wanted high durability, high refinishing capability, and you run down their criteria, right? If that's still true, um, then there's three other wood choices that might fit, two of which I could get today. Um, blah, 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 blah. Should I come down and show you some sample? I can get down there, you know, today by 4.30 and show you and your spouse some samples. Uh, if you want to sleep on it, I can leave the samples with you. All right? Do you see, I'm like anticipating your, I'm going back to your decision criteria. I'm offering you a small set of choices that I believe meet your criteria and offering you the information you need. Uh, and so that's a big reset but I'm still in it to win it. I still want you to get your needs met, right? Your need Was your need for an oak floor or was your need for a beautiful hardwood floor that you could refinish and that would add value to your home? If I can't get oak, I can still meet a lot of those needs, maybe. Well, it, Tom, in, in regards to the current times, you know, I've had to have some of those conversations <laughs> with clients and go, hey, you know. In a world of supply chain snarls, left, right, and center. Yeah, so I mean, I, yeah. You know, I, I, I've taken literally all my paperwork showing when I ordered it, who I ordered it from, what the response was from the vendor I ordered it from. And I said, look, you know, here, here is what I did. Here's what's on order. Here's uh, yeah. what they're saying. You know, here are some other vendors that I could potentially try to get it from. Here's what the likelihood is, right. you know. What, yeah. you know, how, how would you like is to, key. yeah. yeah. How, how would you like how, to proceed? How would you like to proceed? You know, mm -hmm. um, and then I always, in my body language and in my voice, I try to project the fact that I'm not right. giving up on them, right? This is simply a speed bump and right. I'm being transparent about the speed bump I'm running into. Right. Because I don't want that speed bump to be a surprise right. for my client. Yes. And you know, there's, there's two reasons why my vendor can't deliver for me. One is he hit a legitimate snag. And number two, he's a flake and a charlatan and he's pretending he has snags. So he doesn't, so he's blaming somebody other than himself. And would, you know, they can't know which you are. You have to behave in a way that helps them decide which you are. And Taylor, I think being transparent showing them the orders you place, showing them the, the communications you've had, uh, Assuming that they're open to that, they might find that overwhelming. Um, but most people probably would be fine with it. And that's why face-to-face -face and body language and all that stuff is so important. So you can sense whether you're uh, now, building trust or destroying it with your now, attempts at transparency. Now, there are some clients I have that I have great relationships with. And, and I know for those particular clients, you know, I don't need to, um, I don't need to show them that. I mean, I'll, I will always have it and it'll always mm -hmm. be at the ready, but you know, I have that, uh, well connected relationship with, with that client to the point, you know, me physically meeting with them and verbally telling them the information is good right. enough for them. You know, it, I, but I always have the documentation ready. And the reason why I always have the documentation ready 
is because if I get myself in a habit of mm-hmm. being transparent and mm-hmm. having that information, then no matter who I'm in front of, you always the second the second they ask me, I have it. It's in my hand. I'm yeah. ready. Or you can okay. offer it if they seem at all receptive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really smart, I think. Uh, now, so you'll notice, by the way, that here we're talking about resetting expectations, but we're also talking about doing it in a way that maintains and enhances the relationship, which I said was the first thing, the bonding and rapport. And so in reality, we're constantly touching on all six of these areas, on almost all six of these areas as, as we communicate. We're always checking for rapport. We're always checking to see if we still have credibility. We're always communicating to them about their needs and preferences uh, and how we can meet them where they are uh, and, and ask them if they need to change. Uh, so yeah, th- this is probably of the six things. Number four, managing expectations is the most fraught and it's the biggest opportunity to, to have a, a customer for life because how you handle a snag reveals your character, especially in the eyes of the buyer. That if you're transparent, if you're honest, if you take responsibility for the parts of it that are yours, um, if you demonstrate that, look, I know this sets you back, you must be super frustrated. Um, there's a guy named Chris Voss who wrote an excellent book uh, called uh, negotiate as if your life depended on it, I believe was the subtitle. And the main title is never split the difference. It's a very good book. Uh, he says he will, if he has bad news to deliver, he'll, he'll foreshadow it by saying, look, by the end of this conversation, you're going to hate me, <laughs> but I have to deliver some. <laughs> and uh, okay. You know? And so the, they're, he just set them up to be mad at him. And he says, I'm, you know, you're going to hate me at the end of this conversation, but I got to tell you what's going on. And that is disarming for almost all listeners. And it's a way of maintaining the rapport while delivering whatever the, the truth is. Uh, so that's something to, to tuck away for, for later. Let's, let's yeah. finish out the six things. So we talked bonding and rapport, gathering information, coordinating, and then managing expectations, which is distinct from coordination, I believe. Uh, any kind of snag, any kind of delay, if you're ahead of schedule, whatever. Number five is much simpler. It's simply announcing progress. When you hit any kind of milestone, any kind of reporting element, uh, or, or when you're done with the final delivery, you, it is not enough to do the work. You must announce that the work is done. And during sales, right, or, or early on in client onboarding, you should have told them, when we're done, we will send you an email that looks like this, or I will call you, or you will receive this in the mail, or like, here's how we will both communicate with each other. That progress is happening or that progress is complete. And that announcing of status is separate from these other elements. Uh, And then lastly, now that we've delivered our product or service, there's the final stage called acceptance where we check in with them and say, okay, how was this for you? Um, what's something we can do better next time? Uh, if they could have done something better next time, you might not offer that, but maybe you'll tuck that away in your future onboarding. It's like when they, uh, this was a classic, by the way, I keep mentioning this as an example because it happens. Uh, the clients that go dark, that you need to gather information or you need to coordinate or you need to reset expectations and they just don't answer. 
They don't pick up the phone. They don't reply to your emails. They don't set, set appointments with you. They just go dark. Uh, and so because you have no real leverage over them, you've got to inject into your onboarding process the expectation that they agree to be in dialogue with you. And now here at the very end, number six was is you've already delivered, you've already announced delivery, you're done with the work, but we're not done with the communication about the work because we need them to tell us, yes, I am satisfied. You're a nine out of 10. Uh, I would totally work with you again. I can't wait to introduce you to my friends. That's what we'd love. Uh, and I will tell people if, you know, if I'm anything less than, you know, a nine out of 10, give me one thing I can improve on. So the next person gets a nine out of 10 experience from me. See, I'm talking about the future so that the next person and people love to help others. So helping my next client have an even better experience. Some people who are afraid to voice criticism are happy to do it in service of that next person. So, hey, if I'm anything less than a nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 in the experience you had, please tell me one thing or more, but at least one thing that if I did it differently, you'd give me a higher number because I got more people coming. I want to give them an, even, an ever better experience. I want to always be improving. Um, if we ever work together again, and I hope we will, I want you to have an even better experience next time. How can I improve? Most people will either say, you were great. And now they've been primed to give you a nine out of 10 or a four out of five on, or five out of five on Google, or they will give you some, some suggestions. Yeah. The one thing Tom, I always do is if there's mistakes or bumps in the road, et cetera, um, regardless whether or not it's my fault or not, I have a tendency to own it because if I found with customers that, you know, um, if, and this is just my experience, if I'm willing to own the problem, like I acknowledge this is a problem. I acknowledge that maybe I should have seen it coming, or even if I didn't see it coming, I feel by going to the client, owning the problem right out of the gate, in my mm -hmm. conversation, I start out by owning the problem, then ex then shortly, then uh, in a short story, explaining to them why this became a problem. Right. It, you, it, this it, is called owning the inputs, Taylor, and there's a there's a structure for it. Oh, okay. I don't know that. All yes. Right. Okay. If you so you're like a prime contractor, you hire you you buy some stuff here, you're hiring a subcontractor over there, you're getting it professional help from various people to pull together the entire package of whatever it is you're going to deliver, and there's a snag. And when you own the inputs, what you're really saying is, look, it's my job to manage that sub that low voltage wiring subcontractor. And if I hit a snag with them, hopefully. I scheduled it early enough that the snag can be fixed before it affects the overall deadline, but maybe not. And if there's a snag that does affect you as the client, I'm going to tell you, look, um, I'm sorry. I did not manage my low voltage contractor proactively enough. Um, a snag occurred. It's on me. I'm finding a new person um, and I can't avoid delaying things by a week. And I'm very, very sorry. And so, I'm saying that it's, I'm not blaming some other person for the results on your project, because if I start blaming other people, I sound like I'm not in control. 
In fact, I'm behaving and speaking as if I'm not in control. And in fact, psychologically, I'm not. I'm, I'm sort of like this victim at the whim of these subcontractors that I hired, but I can't seem to manage. Uh, and I'm not taking responsibility for things. And people don't want to work with powerless victims. They want to work with powerful people who take responsibility for results, which is exactly, Taylor, what you just described. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel that hurts. Uh, if I, if my client hears me consistently blaming other people, other things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's just a playing the blame, just playing the blame game in general. Yes. It's a downward yes. spiral. I, yes. I feel if I own it, no matter what, I think my client respects me a little more because my client goes, Oh, okay. Yeah. Taylor's on it. You know, he acknowledges right. that and this is an issue and he's doing his best to address it. Right. And, and I can't begin to tell you enough times how important it is to own your inputs and to take responsibility for all aspects of their experience with you, whether you were directly controlling it or not, because ultimately either you are in control of it or you should have been in control of it. And either way, it's on you because they're certainly going to judge you by it. And if you talk as if you know, you're a victim of forces beyond your control, even though in some sense, yeah, we kind of all are. That's, I mean, there's a, there's a bit of truth to that, but people don't want to hear it. It's victim talk. It's drama language. It's, oh, poor pitiful me. Um, I promised you a bunch of stuff and now you're not going to get it. And it's not my fault. You know, I'm just another, you know, victim of, a, of an uncaring world like you. Oops. Oh, well. It's like, well, shoot. I, okay. I'm going to fire you and replace you with somebody who will take some flipping responsibility for their work. Uh, and, and take these things seriously. Because when you talk like you're not in control, you don't take the behaviors of reasserting control, like finding the new contractor, like apologizing and offering them uh, a discount or an extra spiff uh, as an apology for the delay and the inconvenience, right? People want to work with powerful people. That means you got to sound powerful and that means you got to take responsibility. And nowhere does that show up more, I believe, than in owning your inputs. And, and I also find, Tom, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is uh, showing a path forward. Uh, so, okay, I owned, I owned this mistake. I'm owning this hiccup. I'm owning this speed bump. Okay. When, when I go to you, if you're my client, Tom, and I go to you and I show you that I'm owning this issue, in my opinion, naturally, the next thing you're wanting to hear is how am I going to overcome it? How am I going Absolutely. to move forward? What, what, is my, what is my plan to move forward? So immediately when I come to you and I own an issue, I also need to be able to follow that with a sufficient plan of moving forward. Absolutely. Whether that's presenting you with alternatives to go a different path or a different mm-hmm. route, or right. whether it be, you know, what are my proposals to get over this speed bump without yes. having to go a different route? Right. In other words, managing their expectations by telling them what they can expect now that this new thing has happened. Right. So managing expectations. And again, I will, I will repeat because it, it needs to be said again, how you manage hiccups, how you manage speed bumps and, and issues uh, speaks huge volumes to people about what you are like, what your character is like and whether they, they want to work with you again. I once gave a five out of five, review to somebody who blundered so badly, I wanted to sue him. Uh, I'll tell you the story. We just sold a house. 
We had some guys come in to remediate a tiny bit of mold uh, in the attic. This is the Pacific Northwest. Every attic has at least some mold. It's not unusual. So they came in, they're going to spray this bleach solution on it. They're going to air the attic out. It should be fine. We come back the next day. They have completely botched the job. The entire house reeks so badly of bleach that we can't breathe and our eyes are watering and we haven't moved all of our stuff out yet. So we're supposed to be like moving things out of this house with movers. So people have to be in this house and it's all, it's like, you can't stand to be in it for five minutes because, and the buyer's not going to want to take it from us now because it's totally reeks of bleach. And then who knows if that'll ever come out again, who wants to buy a house that reeks of bleach. It's, it's horrific. And so we're upset and frustrated. We go to call them. They can't be reached. And so now we're like furious and anxious and like freaking out. And I'm calling other providers. You know, there's the, these uh, uh, home uh, damage remediation specialists. Uh, Paul Davis is a company that I know in particular who will come out for a fee and bring, you know, fans or whatever. And I talked to a couple of them and they say, yeah, this is fixable. It takes a couple of days. We'll put a bunch of fans in, but yes, that can be addressed. Uh, it's not, it's not going to destroy your ability to close on the house that you've already, you know, sold and are moving out of. And now maybe the buyer is going to unwind the whole deal. Like this is high, high stakes. Okay. Now, why would I give these idiots who have just bleach bombed my house a five out of five? And the answer is how they handled it. When we finally got in touch, um, the owner came out in person, brought everything he could find to help mobilized all of his staff, took total responsibility, said, we will get this cleaned up for you at no charge to you. We will refund your portion of what you paid, even though they technically did fix the problem we asked for. Um, and I, I, I personally guarantee that all will be well by the end of the weekend. And we are revising our, our procedure for how we handle incoming emergency calls. And so he covered all the bases, apologized up, down, left, and right, took personal responsibility to oversee the, the fix and stayed in touch with us as it got fixed. Well, within three, within two days, it was, you couldn't smell a thing. It was just fine. And the sale went off without a hitch. Uh, and he handled it so well that he, and I, I literally said this in my Google review. I love writing good Google reviews. Uh, and I'll write bad ones just as quick as I'll write good ones. Uh, but I said in detail that, this guy got a five out of five, not because he was flawless, but because of how he handled a, a mistake. And he revised his, his uh, employee training. Um, he revised his on-call procedure so that we wouldn't like call and not get responded to right away. And uh, he was absolutely committed through his behavior to, to making everything right for us. And that's what I want. I don't want someone who's perfect. I want someone who will uh, work through problems with me to help me get my results. And when you're that way in your client communication, people will love you and they'll love working with you. And that's what client communication is all about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple last points I want to make. Uh, for this, again, this is in our show notes. Is uh, method of communication, style. And I want to come back finally to meta communication. So methods, 
whatever style works with the client or whatever style works best for you. If you have a very high volume, you should just standardize on something. Make sure at least one of your modalities is written. Don't do everything verbally. You need at least something in writing uh, at least some of the time. So, but you also need at least something that's audio capable. So you have tone of voice, uh, video is even better. In-person is great. So you've got that human touch and you can pick up on subtle cues of unhappiness or concern. Uh, style of communication, I recommend using your own voice. Uh, and by that, I mean the tone, the style. If you're a fun, cheerful person, try to have a fun, cheerful tone in your website and in your marketing materials and then in your sales conversations so that when people are having a client experience with you, it's the same tone they got used to with you during marketing and sales. So because people start to build expectations. If you're like fun and informal and yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we're going to have a blast during marketing and sales. And then you come up like a lawyer in a three-piece suit all buttoned down and it's suddenly very formal. And there's like, in your tone changes, it's like, what did I just buy? Or vice versa. You know, if someone's, you know, thinks they're buying something that's really like form, formal and professional, and then you show up informal at the last minute, it's weird. Right? You're setting expectations of tone and style throughout marketing and sales during client communication and delivery of service or product. Stick with that tone. And as a small business owner, honestly, the tone of the business is probably your personal tone. So just find it and stick with it. Talk to the people around you who can see you better than you can see yourself. Uh, have somebody proofread your stuff. Have somebody be a secret shopper and give you feedback on your tone and style uh, and make sure that you're being true to yourself. And when you've got employees, I, you're going to have to train them as well. I just got Go one of those secret choppers. Oh, did got, you? Got well. So it, uh, the the lady who uh, I brought on uh, helping me with marketing, mm -hmm. and uh, I told her, I said, "Don't be fearful of criticizing what I put together." I says, and don't be nice. fearful by telling me what I wrote is terrible. <laughs> I says, I says to some degree, that's why I asked you to come right. on board to tell me that. I mean, yep. if, it, if it's, if it's good, give me, please give me the credit that it's good. But if it's not, it's okay. You know, you can be honest with me. So yeah, it's, and, and sometimes, you know, specifically for me as a tech guy, I know how to do tech but I don't know how to say it in a way that maybe is the best because me, I go right to the technical stuff. Oh yes. You got to press that button and that button and this will do that. And then you press these three buttons over here and then it does that. And then you press that button over there and it does this, but only if you press that button first. Yeah. No, doesn't make for very good marketing reading. I hear you. <laughs> I totally hear you. <laughs> I, I can get in the weeds pretty quick too. I mean, listen, listen to how I thought there's your six things you talk about in client communication. Wow. Really Cox? Seriously? It's like, yeah, this is how my brain works. <laughs> so let's wrap up. So the meta communication, which is communication about communication. You only want to do enough of this to dial in things. You don't want to be constantly having process conversations about, you know, I'm noticing that when we talk, we sometimes did that. And I want to, I want us to talk differently. It's like, I, I was in a, I've been in relationships where my partner just wanted to constantly talk about the relationship rather than just have the relationship. And it gets, 
I find it exhausting past a certain point. Some of it's necessary, but I, my, my guidance really is to keep that to a minimum, but not zero. Uh, and specifically during sales, during the sales conversation, you need to be setting some clear expectations on how the communication occurs during the service delivery or product delivery process so that they know what to expect before they say yes. Then you may need to reset those expectations or just repeat them during client onboarding. Not everyone's going to have a client onboarding step, but you might want one. Uh, and then my last bit is keep very careful notes of every single instance of miscommunication between you and your client, regardless of whose fault it is. I mean, if you've got maybe nine out of 10 clients, you communicate flawlessly, but there's this 10th client, they're constantly misunderstanding you. They're constantly telling you how confused they are. They don't follow instructions, that whatever, that there's all kinds of communications issues. Keep careful notes because the whole purpose of paying attention during the client service or product delivery is to get better at it. And careful notes on mistakes and examples of miscommunications, like save every example. Uh, and then take some time to re revise your process. Maybe it's tweak the onboarding. Maybe it's and something else you say during sales. Maybe it's a, a meta conversation that you have, you know, during phase two of your three phases of whatever you do. Or maybe um, it's tweaking my workflow. Or tweaking your workflow. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but there, always assume that there's something under your control. Either you behave differently or you tell them that they need to behave differently or, or, or something. But you've got to own the quality of that client communication because ultimately you're the professional here. You're the one receiving money. It's on you. Um, a side note, uh, somebody once said, communication is what the listener does. It's not enough that you say it. They have to hear it and understand it the way you intended. If they don't hear it and understand it the way you intended, then you have not communicated. So every instance of miscommunication is an opportunity for you to get better, be a better listener, be a better speaker or, or writer. And the attention to detail you put into that, your willingness to track your mistakes, even small ones, and look for the, the, the tiny improvement, the 1% improvement, those will pay off hugely for you over time. It sets a great tone. Uh, it shows that you're serious about communicating as flawlessly as possible. And people over time will love you more and more and more for the quality, not just of the work you do, but the quality of the way you communicate about it, the way you manage expectations, because you cannot exceed expectations that you have not managed. And you cannot manage communication in any way other than what we just talked about. That's it. I gotcha. So, so, uh, Tom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull a slick segue here. You ready? You ready? Mm -hmm. Let's manage expectations for what listeners can expect on our next podcast. That is a great idea. So we, do have, a, <laughs> we have some podcasts coming up. So uh, the next one is going to be uh, perfecting the sales pitch. Right. And Tom, I believe we have a guest. I, I know that this is not my area of expertise nor yours. And so I thought, well, who better than the person I learned sales communication from a uh, guy named Jeff Schneider. He's with the Sandler Sales System. That's a franchise. There's probably a Sandler's uh, office in your, wherever you are. There, there, there's two in Cincinnati. 
Uh, we're going to talk to the guy out of Portland, Oregon, who I learned from, Jeff Schneider. And uh, he is an absolute expert at the entire sales process, including the sales pitch. And he may obviously expand around that in order to, to make a well-rounded episode. We'll see what he has to say for us. But uh, there's no one I'd rather hear more about from on the topic of sales uh, than Jeff Schneider. Yeah, that'll be on our next podcast. Tom? Yeah. And I, 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 one last bit of plug. And the reason I like Jeff so much is because he uses the Sandler sales system. And I love Sandler because it is a zero-pressure, highly respectful way of selling. It's the only one I've found, frankly, that has puts zero pressure on the buyer and, and is highly attentive to the psychological needs of the seller. You will not, you will not feel uncomfortable or weird or gross using Sandler selling. It is psychologically clean, uh, highly respectful, and uh, the only system I use anymore. Gotcha. Super. So until next time, I'm Thomas Cox. And, and that I'm is Taylor Sunderhouse. I am Taylor Sunderhouse. Don't forget, uh, you can find all the necessary links down in the description, mm -hmm. social media, uh, where you can listen and subscribe. All the links are also available on smallbusinessdownload.com. Uh, if you want to be a guest on the podcast or you want to reach out to us in general, the email address is info at smallbusinessdownload.com. Uh, Tom, we do have a few other guests who... Uh, who have inquired lately. So uh, I will fill you in on that and hopefully we'll have a few more yeah. surprises here in the future. And, and, and there's two kinds of guests we would love to have on. One is a guest who just has a bunch of needs and they want to ask a bunch of questions that we can help with. And the other is an expert who can help our audience of small business owners do better and better in all aspects of running a small business. Exactly. Outstanding. Thank you so all much, right. Taylor. Until next time, guys. Always a pleasure. <laughs>